is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For part two with Pam McKinnon, we talk about self-belief and an understanding of self and what she learned and a little more self-reflection on what those early days were that led to her decision-making of pursuing directing. It's it's a really wonderful part two, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did having the conversation with Pam McKinnon. Enjoy. What in life paths for you, your life paths, cultivating where you go, you know, versus kind of like being pulled and then being pushed. What does that look like for you? Or have you made the decision? I guess it sounds like it now to, to choose where to go and what to do versus take going where life takes you having that balance between choosing and kind of following. Does any, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, I mean, certainly now, um, running, running a large, Institution, I, you know, I, I was right. a, I was a freelance director for for twenty five years, based out of New York, yeah. and now I'm artistic director at ACT in San Francisco. So yeah. there, so that's a that's a choice. That's, that's a, a choice. you know <laughs> that's a big choice, right? That's that that's that's planting a flag. Yes. Um, and and having yeah, sort of day to day responsibilities, organizational responsibilities, hiring our artist hiring responsibilities. Yeah. Um, you know, talking a lot about mission and values of an organization. Uh, now, obviously, we're we're in COVID. How are we going to come through this? What kind of organization are we on the other side of this? Right. Um, so, you know, it's but it's it's interesting. I mean, it's almost like I mean, is 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 there more choice in that? Less choice in that? Um, <laughs> it's 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 just different. It's yeah. just different. Um, like it's not like these organizations ever run themselves right. or ever aren't precarious mm. um you know and in some respects as a a freelancer and i was a freelancer at a certain high you know kind of the highest level um yeah. you know uh you know kind of going from job to job there certainly was financial insecurity um yeah. every year was its own thing but yeah. you know i definitely had a, a rhythm of being produced yeah. and could call a lot of shots. So, you know, it's, it's sort of ironic, the, like the running a large theater well, or a small theater running a theater right now. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it's, uh, it's very hard. <laughs> it's as hard as any, any moment in my freelance career, um, maybe harder. Yeah. Uh, and I know you didn't ask it in terms of hard and easy, but it, it I think it's a false, um, it's sort of a false uh, uh, a dichotomy of, you know, choice versus, what did he say? Choice versus like. Oh yeah. Just being, yeah. Life, the life path of being pulled in a direction or following, yeah. you know, and then making a choice like, no, I'm going to go this way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I guess, I guess like, you know, sort of the, the, you know, like, like a, a freelancer at times is you, at least I experienced it as at times very sort of precarious, right? It's sort mm -hmm. of like either, either someone calls you and says, you know, come to Chicago and do this play 
or, or, you know, I mean, I, I, I tutored, I tutored kids to make sense, make ends meet until my late thirties. I kept my costs really low. I, right. you know, I sort of cruised through, you know, the first chapter of a freelancer, uh, uh, you know, being able to like cobble it together. Mm. Um, and, uh, and then, and then started working very steadily and then started working steadily on Broadway. Um, mm. and, uh, and now I'm I'm running a big a big institution um, because it felt like like my sort of adult brain wanted to think in long in 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 longer time frame increments. Yeah. Became interested in like what is the five year plan? Mm. Um, what what could running an organization do for? a city and a neighborhood and a community. Mm. What, what, what could running an organization, what can, because I'm doing it, <laughs> can an organization, although in COVID it feels very strange, but, oh, yeah. but, but like, like what, like what can I be for artists in the Bay area, for artists, you know, around the country yeah. um, and beyond just sort of my, my own nose and my own sort of almost like, teenage kind of rhythm solipsistic let's do a play like i wanted to i wanted to stretch yeah. and so and so that's why i'm here that's why i'm stretching <laughs> do you do you love it yeah yeah i mean I, you know yeah. i mean i mean yes yes i mean covid covid is ridiculous it's yeah. so hard and and i'm very you know personally privileged to have a job there's so many people in uh in the field obviously that just uh, do not, and we're coming up on a year, and um, and there's like the end is not in sight. Um, I just read uh, an article today about um, Australia being able to open some of the larger quote Broadway Broadway shows in Sydney and Melbourne, and the U.S. is nowhere near that. No. Um, you know, and we're we're making plans, and we're you know we're looking at calendars, and we're all sort of aiming for certain months that we hope will be ready to open, but we don't know. Yeah. So I don't love that aspect of it. It's hard to, you know, like ideally just even, even thinking as an artist or certainly as an organization leader, you want to like vision, vision something and then make a plan to get there and then you work the plan mm. and it's really hard to do right now. Are there changes you've made that have increased positivity and decreased negativity during this crazy time? Yeah, I mean, we talk, you know, a lot about equity, diversity, inclusion, and you're doing a lot of culture change. Um, and, you know, and that was prior to COVID and that's that's in this moment and really using EDI as a lens for 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 everything that we do. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's that's a big, big, exciting opportunity built in now to the field. And I feel that there are more people um, outside of our walls that, you know, are, are also, you know, using even just the language of, of anti-racism. Like there is, you know, that, that feels very exciting and palpable right now yeah. that, that more people in this country are having a reckoning, um, taking it seriously and, um, and what can theater be within that. Um, so that feels hard and fantastic. Mm. 
Yeah, no, it's your it's a really good point. I want to Tony Stone comes to mind because of the stuff that I witnessed in that theater. I am I have to ask this question, and maybe we talk just about Tony Stone, and maybe we expand further. When you begin, you decide you're going to do a project, you're going to work on a project. Is this a visual beginning for you, or is this what is what is the initial steps for you in directing a, a show? I mean, that play, sort of like Amelie, the musical, was a notion before there was anything on the page. Um, an independent producer, um, Samantha Berry, approached me with a book that she had recent, recently optioned, and it was a biography of Tony Stone called Curveball. And she, she is... Uh, um, Samantha is a huge baseball lover, big theater person. Mm -hmm. And she approached me to read the book and she asked me if I thought it could be a play. Mm -hmm. And I devoured this book by Martha Ackman and said, yeah. And then Samantha and I brainstormed about who should write it. Mm -hmm. it, it um, Tony Stone was a, a real person and Tony with an I. She was a woman, African-American woman. She was the first woman to play professional baseball with men, period. And this was at the tail end of the Negro Leagues. And this is her story. And she knew she was a baseball player from a very young age, grew up in the Twin Cities and like age five, you know, recognized she was an athlete and mm -hmm. baseball was her sport. And she pursued it to the highest, highest level that she possibly could. Um, and we approached Lydia Diamond uh, to write it. And um, Lydia read the book, fell in love with Tony, knew nothing about baseball. And so had to like do a lot of learning. Yeah. We all did. And the, the opening monologue Lydia wrote maybe a year into the project. And then we lived with that opening monologue for a long time and it really cracked open character. Mm. Um, and then it took years. I mean, that was a project in my life for maybe eight, eight years before mm. I did, I, we produced it at the roundabout theater in uh, 2019. And um, so it, we, we like multiple workshops with, you know, great, great casts. Um, it's a, and like he hearing pages and, and <clears throat> excuse me, the, the characters around Tony Stone slowly taking shape and Lydia definitely works um, best and fastest when she's in the room with actors and like the turnaround time in a workshop of like, Oh, let me, let me leave. Let me go back to my hotel room and write is so quick. And then, and then like six months will pass. Then a, another draft won't happen. Mm -hmm. um, so that just took a, you know, an incredible, um, it certainly wasn't daily, weekly or monthly, but mm -hmm. it was a long span project. Um, was it, visual i mean you know be, it was a i think think we always knew it was going to be a title character play right. an exploration of this woman's um 
ambition, but an exploration of how her brain worked um, is kind of on the page. And um, both in terms of, you know, these long, long, multi-lined, parenthetical, dashed sentences with ellipses, like how her brain gets really twisty. And she talks about that. And then what does that look like physically? Um, I early on knew I wanted to work with a choreographer. um, And that was, uh, I approached Camille Brown to sort of unearth a few big, heavy duty stage directions. Um, and they became like cornerstone pieces. There was one workshop when we finally were up from off, uh, uh, like just from around the table, we were on our feet for a couple of days and Camille created this, and it started as an exercise that she um, called Morph and created with the company, this through repetition, um, this like really kind of heart, heart rending Kind of these, these part of what some of the Negro League teams had to do was clown. And we, we wanted that on the stage and, and Camille um, created with the company um, some really stand out moments. And that's when we knew we had something really special in that first physical workshop. And then what was exciting was both Lydia and I knew that our work had to live up to mm. what Camille and the actors had like created one afternoon. Right. Um, and it was mining a stage direction. It was this morphing exercise that became something that now is so much a part of the DNA of this play. And Lydia had to write to it. I had to stage to it. The actors had to like live up to the power of what now ends the first act. Um, And I'm looking forward to, because at a certain point, I will not be the sole director of this fantastic play. It's it's slated, you know, when we're back, it will be done in Milwaukee. It will get done in Chicago. It will, you know, it's going to be a big play. Um, And I'm so excited for other other directors, choreographers, companies to like mine those stage directions. But, you know, I hope that it will be as key and relevatory and violent as, as where I think we got. Yeah. It was moving, discomforting and educational. You know, those are, yeah. the, those are the three yeah. biggies that come to mind. It nice. was really it was special. It was, it's a special uh, piece. Is nice. there a particular production you've worked on that taught you the most about yourself or taught you a substantial amount of lessons during production? I mean, I mean, certainly um, working on Edward Albee's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, mm. um, maybe especially the first time, uh, which was at Steppenwolf Theater. And I remember um, staying up like until 4 a.m. a lot of nights, pacing around my my uh, my beige apartment, you know, given to me by Steppenwolf, and reading especially Martha's lines over and over again. Mm-hmm. That that text is so, especially in the third act, it's so dense, it's so lonely making. Um, but but what is it? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I recognized in working with the fantastic Amy Morton as Martha that I had to get in there with her. 
Um, and that was, it's hard. It's just, that's a re, that's a mountain of a play. Mm. Um, like I remember like, you know, and then, and then we did it in Chicago and, and I went away and, and I, and I directed on the heels of opening that in Chicago, went to the old globe in San Diego and directed a production of Miller's death of a salesman. Mm. And then, and then like with two days off and then, and then joined the, the, the Virginia Wolf company again to catch their final performance in Chicago and just the amount that it had grown in like the best possible way over the course of that run was just amazing. And then we hopped as a company to DC kind of knowing what it was now Hmm. and got to remount it. And then one year later um, got to put it up on Broadway. And in that year, um, especially uh, my actor, Madison Dirks, who played Nick, had just done so much more acting. And so he was just a better actor. So his Nick to George was an amazing step up. So Tracy Letts had a better scene partner because George actually interacts with Nick the most on that stage. Um, So that was, I mean, so it was, it was this combination of, it was so hard to put up the first time. And then we had the gift of getting to revisit it. And all of us, I think, grew as artists and as people in the interim, like Tracy and Carrie, you know, got together and they're now married. They're expecting their second kid. Like it became this, like, we're all, we're all living life. We keep on revisiting this play. Um, That was a big, a big revelation. And it sort of, it's a big enough play that you can pour whatever you want of yourself into it Mm. and it will catch you. It both Mm. demands a lot of you but also says, I'm here for you. And if you want to play the loneliest woman on the planet, Amy Morton, I'm available to you. Right. Like play it. And Martha, Martha will be better for it. So I dare you. I dare you to pour as much of yourself into this play and know that the play is there to then, you know, just take off. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing piece of writing. That, um, yeah, that was really, you know, it was the right, the right group of people to do it. Um, and I, 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 I think, I think we did the play proud. I love that. I love that. You have, you have so many achievements and I can see, you know, from this conversation, the fulfillment <laughs> in these conversations we're having with Tony Stone, you know, ACT and, and uh, Edward Alley. How do you balance achievement versus fulfillment? Oh, that's interesting. Achievement versus fulfillment. I mean, I mean, I, 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 uh, I mean, I mean, hopefully they're, they're one and the same. I mean, I guess I, I, you know, I speak about who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, hugely fulfilled by it. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, yes, yes, yes. An external achievement. Um, but you know, in in theater, you know, I, you know, also like so so we 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 got that production on Broadway. I won a Tony Award. Tracy won a Tony Award. The the production won a Tony Award. Right. No one came to see it, and we closed it early. R- right. So it, so you know, it 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 was it was on Broadway to very small houses. Yeah. It, we we literally closed it ahead of schedule. Um, so, you know, as a, as a theater artist, even like the, the, the highest of highs and ultimately 
you know, after closing it X number of months later, we were given awards for it. Mm. Um, but you know, always, I think it has to like, like, yeah, grab, grab those fulfillments because, because theater rarely, um, yeah, like you, you might build the most beautiful thing and, and very few people are going to see it. Um, or, so, so make sure you're personalizing it. Make sure you, 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 you stay in the present. Make sure you surround yourself with, with some great people and, um, uh, and it's your job to nurture them and it's their job to nurture you. And not that like every company needs to become a bonded group of best friends, but mm -hmm. while you're in it, um, you know, really, really enjoy it, really try to enjoy it. And I've been in companies that have clicked in that way. And I've been in companies that haven't quite. Mm. Um, and always, you know, you want to, you want to, um, yeah, make it, make it the most, the most human, fun, inspiring, you know, yeah, process. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, um, any common pieces of incorrect advice that you hear in the directorial field or even theater in general? Well, I guess going back to what I said earlier about like, you know, I, I remember um, Peter Schaefer's play Amadeus, you know, and then made into a really beautiful movie early eighties. So that's sort of when I was a teenager. Um, and that, that thing of like, Oh, only the like only the savants of the world should be artists so you have you know in in, in amadeus you have the really tight salieri who knows that his his work can never reach the heights of mozart mozart has been kissed on the forehead by god salieri should not even touch should not even touch a harpsichord right. <laughs> um <laughs> And, you know, and I, and that really influenced me and I think it's bullshit. I mean, I think, you know, going back, I'm a capable person. I can do many things, but theater is what, what I feel I have the most connection to. And I went through my late teens to sort of my early mid twenties thinking I was not allowed to pursue what I love. Why? Where did that come from for you? You know, and I, I had very supportive parents. I had yeah. parents who believed that the arts were part of it all. Yeah. Um, you know, I, there, there, there was something, there was something in the culture writ large that I took to heart. Mm. And like, I was good at math. I was studying calculus. So I had no business being a Mozart. And I, you know, and I don't right. claim to be a Mozart, no, but, yeah, I, yeah. I, but, but, but I claim to um, deserving or... I, like you're, you're allowed to pursue what, what energizes you. Um, but I, you know, yeah, I sidestepped it for five years because of, I don't know, of Peter Schaefer's Amadeus. I don't know. Like it was, you know, and, 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 you know, and, and, and some teachers using that, that kind of, I don't know, good sage advice of, right. of, you know, artists you're going to be you're going to be sad if you're if you pursue this unless you're 
the one in a 100. Yeah. What? Right. Like, like, you know, capitalist society, like, screw you. It's like, you'll, some, some people should be auto mechanics. Some people should go to wall street. Some people should be artists. Like it's, it's the, like I, you know, sort of when I, when I, when I had my big career change, like, like the big sort of revelation as I started to put it into words for me was, um, oh, I thought I had to be serious. Like as an adult, I had to be serious about something. And that meant not theater. And then I realized, oh, serious isn't about the thing I'm pursuing. It's my relationship to the thing. And if my relationship to the thing I want to do is serious, then I'm a serious person. Mm. Well said. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely And it really, you know, and, and there were so many external pressures that said that, um, and again, it wasn't family, it wasn't, you know, but just said like, put, put, put away childish things. And mm-hmm. theater is a childish thing. Until, until it wasn't. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it wouldn't appear that way now, would it? <laughs> wouldn't appear that way now. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Pam. This has been such a great conversation. I do have to ask, uh, with all these themes here today, there's just so, Ooh, so much, so much, it feels like this whole thing flew by. Um, metaphorically speaking, if you could put a word or a phrase on a billboard for millions of people to see, does anything come to mind? I mean, you know, we're, 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 we're touching on on big Joseph Campbell themes, right? Like, you know, and, 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 and follow your bliss is, is certainly, is certainly one of them. Um, and you know, I, but you know, and, and I think sometimes follow your bliss has a connotation of, you know, getting, uh, selfish and narrow, but you know, if you can follow your bliss, but with your not yes, sort of eye on prize, but with your peripheral vision soft, so that you're you're taking people with you you also respond you know to 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 other other people other opportunities i mean i think that's that's what it can mean and that's when you know if 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 individuals follow their bliss but recognize that you're part of a community you're part of a neighborhood we're all part of a family globally um you know, how, how, how fantastic. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Is there anything else you want to add here today before we wrap this up? Does anything else come to mind? No, this has been a delightful conversation, a nice way to start the day. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Pam McKinnon. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening. 